Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. What if I was to say I can give you the number one key that you can have in your life to be happy, but it isn't actually the pursuit of happiness? So, let me start by saying a couple of weeks ago, I took the little boys that we care for um, to the Gold Coast uh, and uh, we went to the theme parks, three theme parks in three days. And fortunately I had backup. Luke came with me and Eleanor and Caleb were up there at the same time. They stayed in a flash hotel but they did deign to kind of meet with us and go to the theme parks and so Caleb and Luke particularly are just awesome because I can throw the boys in the swimming pool and Luke and Caleb will actually literally throw them around and care for them and look after them and go on all the rides and mind you Ellen is pretty gung-ho too she goes on all the rides and I had to go at all the rides in fact I got roped into some crazy water they're not even slides they're like water drops you know just gut-wrenching crazy rides it's all about having fun wasn't so much fun for the people this week, did you see, who got stuck on the green, the green one. The green lantern. Right up the top, stuck there for hours. We were on that ride just a week or two before that. But anyway, so it's all fun. And as we're going around pursuing fun, I'm, I'm just realising, wow, look, this is a massive industry. All these theme parks, the Gold Coast strip of holiday hotels and all that. And it's all about having fun, which is not bad. But it makes me think when I look around at some of these people, I hope there's more to it. I hope there's more to your life than just this. Is this as good as it gets? Just being a fun seeker looking for the latest adrenaline rush. And you'll be glad to know there is more to life if you haven't discovered it. Uh, And, you know, psychologists and, and Behavioural scientists have done a lot of studies in this area and found that people pursue happiness in different ways. The number one most popular way is just what I'm talking about, pleasure-seeking. The simple seeking out of what feels good and seems good for me to do at any given time. Uh, whether it's you know theme parks or dining out or whatever tickles your fancy as to just having fun. But ironically, the studies have shown that that is the least satisfying way to achieve true long-lasting happiness over the long long term. They find that um, there's hardly any contribution from from pleasure-seeking to long-lasting fulfilment in life. They say it's more just like uh, the icing on the cake. In in other words, there is a certain sweetness to life that having fun can add, uh, but that real happiness is actually a byproduct of living for something beyond just your own personal happiness, living with a purpose, living with meaning, living with a conviction or a cause or a commitment to something great. And uh, you can guess where I'm heading. Because the greatest pursuit you can be involved in is the pursuit of God himself and the cause of Christ that he has laid out for us. And so today I want you to think with me about the pursuit of God and hopefully that gives us a better perspective on this issue of the pursuit of happiness, which is a big deal in our world today. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to look at Matthew 6 with me. 
And this is part of the great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching. And from verse 19 right through to verse 33, he talks about what people are into and what people are focused on and worried about. And uh, he starts by saying, Matthew 6, verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I always find it interesting that he says it that way round. Not where your heart is, your treasure will be also. And we've, you know, been aware of this as you invest and spend money where your heart, where your treasure goes, your, your heart follows. You're interested in where your, where your treasure is, where your investments are. And that's why God throughout history has had his church or tabernacle or temple in the Old Testament funded by people. Because he knows, he wants people to engage in his kingdom, in his kingdom purposes. He knows if we can get involved with our treasure, our heart is going to follow and be involved. So that's why uh, he has set things up that way. And then Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. And all the twitches said, Amen. Look, it's bird watching. It's in the Bible. It's God's commandment. And if Ruth was here, she'd say, Yeah, yeah, yeah. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the answer, duh, yes. It's a rhetorical question. Those little pesty minor birds, or any bird, you're better than that. You're bigger. Even dolphins. I mean, look, you go to SeaWorld, dolphins, they're amazing. And the marine biologists, you, you go and watch them and you think, I missed my calling, I should have been a marine biologist. What a job. Wow, these beautiful creatures of the deep and they seem to communicate with us and all that. But they still haven't got a spirit that can be regenerated and have a relationship with God. Okay, so they're cute and all that, but God's giving you dominion over all creation. So be green, just don't be so green that it gets silly. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, so look at the birds of the air, you know, they, they're cool and all that, but, but you're more valuable, in other words. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That is a great statement, isn't it? <laughs> Just stop yourself. Hang on, is this getting me anywhere? Now, why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like these Lilies. So if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious. I love it. It's a commandment. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. In other words, people aren't seeking God, ungodly people. They're seeking after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all anyway. So seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. That's a great memory verse if you don't have that already locked away in your brain to draw on. So he's pretty much saying the same kind of things a few different times. 
You know, he starts out by talking about treasure. Well, you can store it up in heaven or you can store it up on earth. You can just be focused on worldly pleasures like I was talking about or you can have a heavenly perspective on life. And then he does the parallel then in about verse 26 uh, about who you're going to serve as far as uh, either God or money. He says you can serve God and or you can actually find yourself serving money, but you can't do both. And of course, serving money is pretty much the, the, the religion of materialism, which is a pretty dud religion because you've got a cruel Lord who promises much and delivers little. And then he says uh, a couple of, you know, then he mentions the, 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 the classic things that we long for and worry about, food and clothing. And he says, look, rather than pursuing these things, Again, a parallel. You're either going to pursue stuff or will you pursue God and the stuff will fall into place and you'll be looked after and you'll have enough of it anyway. And so it's just a matter of priorities. He's, he's calling us higher. Jesus is saying, look, you can pursue all sorts of things, but the greatest pursuit is not money. It's not treasure on earth. It's, it's not food and clothing. Your greatest pursuit is God himself. And, and this is why we have been created. This is the real guts of it all, if that's hopefully not too crude an expression for you, that we're made to seek God, to, to have the goal of knowing him as our great lifelong objective and, and to do whatever we need to do to be in his kingdom with his lordship over our lives, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's going to make things right. He's going to make us righteous, like that song we were singing about the bride of Christ, to the shame will be forgotten, to stand before the Lord, like that passage we heard over communion, that the end of time, to be before God, that's, that's ultimately where we're going to end up, to stand before Jesus. And we can either go, whoa, what? Did I do wrong? Now I'm here thinking I should have made some smarter decisions. That's what teachers say these days, don't they? You don't say you're naughty. You say that's not, you know, you've got to make good decisions. Are you making good decisions, young Johnny? You know, um, And so uh, we want to hopefully stand before God saying, phew, I'm glad I made that decision to commit my life to Christ. And it's an ongoing commitment. And... Uh, and the product, the byproduct of seeking God is happiness or to go deeper or to be more precise, joy. Now, David knew this. King David had all the pleasures that the world could offer, being the rich king of Israel at the time. And yet he wrote in Psalm 1611, God, you have made known to me the path of life itself. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore eternal pleasures. He was getting an inkling of it while he was here on earth. He'd had a taste of everything the earth had had to offer and he thought, yeah, it doesn't really compare. I think God's got a lot more. And so he was a, a God seeker, a man with a heart after God. And, uh, and you know, he, he knew that because he had, as I said, he had the choice. He had all the, you know, the earthly temporal pleasures at his disposal, uh, the, the best the world had to offer at the time. Um, I saw a, a TV documentary recently. Do you know that um, Abbey in France, and I've never been there, but like me, you've probably seen uh, pictures of it, Mont St. Michael, and it's the famous Abbey 
built on an island just off the coast, uh, the west coast of, of France. And it's nearly a kilometre from the coast. So at low tide, uh, you can get to it, but at high tide, and they built it way back, you know, a thousand years ago because it was a good fort. At high tide, it was hard to um, attack. And um, they did this documentary, the guys cruising around looking at the place, and there's the abbey is at the top of the hill on the island, and down below, there's a town swarming with tourists, shopping for souvenirs, dining in the cafes, strolling around the narrow, cobbled, cute streets, you know. But they interview a monk who lives up the top, and he described the island as a symbol of the world. He said, at the most base level is all the world has to offer. Consumerism, physical pleasures, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then he made the point that some people don't ever go any higher because there's a long, hard walk up many, many steps to get to the abbey. And he says a lot of people visit the island and they go, oh, yeah, there's the cathedral, there's the abbey, yeah, great. And then they just go looking at the souvenirs and have coffee and buzz around and that's it. And he said it's worth the effort because if you can climb the stairs, there you'll find chapels where you have real quiet contemplation, what the main deal on the island is all about. And he says this is like a a spiritual journey that we're all invited on to be closer to God because uh, he says, you know, when he said something along the lines of, you know, when we are closer to God, we are closer to heaven uh, in his presence. It's only when we climb the stairs, you know, he was using this as an analogy, that we find a spiritual reality uh, and a beauty and a pleasure that, that supersedes everything else the world's got to offer. And, uh, and I thought that is, that is very true, that when we're in God's presence, we, we can leave stuff behind and we are, we are enjoying his company. But the other thing is, when we go back to the stuff of life, we've got his perspective on it. That's why the Bible says you're a joint heir, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So all the stuff that was worrying you, you spend time in God's presence. As I said, you've got his love, his grace, his wisdom, his strength, all these wonderful qualities that bless you. But then the stuff that was tempting you to be worried is stuff that you're now more content and happy to face. Uh, Tozer, the great writer from the 20th century, A.W. Tozer, said this, let the seeking man reach, seeking God, obviously, let the seeking man reach a place where life and lips join to say continually, be thou exalted. And a thousand minor problems will be solved at once. His Christian life ceases to be the complicated thing it had been before and becomes the very essence of simplicity. Have you ever had that experience? You've got all this stuff going on and you pray and you spend time with God and then you go, oh, look at all those problems. Man, what a, it's nothing. It's really nothing. It's just not a big deal after all. You know? Um, and he said there continually, he said the, the seeker who's continually worshipping God, and this is the deal, the pursuit of God is a lifelong adventure. And uh, in fact, he wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. Toe's a great writer, you should read it if you haven't already read it. You can even get it free because it's, you know, Gutenberg Project and these sort of uh, publishers that things have been out of print for so long, you can just get download it for free on the internet. And he's, he's talking in this book about how Christianity can sadly fall very short of what it should be if we're not engaging in a, a loving hunger for God. So listen to what he says. And he says it so well. I'm going to read a passage for you because he says it better than 
than, than I could. The whole transaction of religious conversion, he said, has sadly been made mechanical and spiritless. Faith may now be exercised without reference to the moral life, without embarrassment to the Adamic ego. Christ may be received without creating any special love for him in the soul of the receiver. The man is saved, but he's not hungry nor thirsty after God. In fact, he's specifically taught to be satisfied and encouraged to be content with little. You know what he's talking about? That sense of, oh, yeah, you need to receive Christ. He'll bless you. Just tick the box, get saved, and just as if that's all there is. He says, you and I are a little bit like God. He says, our sin's accepted. Uh, being made in his image, we have within us the capacity to know him. In our sins, we lack only the power. The moment the Spirit has quickened us to life in regeneration, our whole being senses its kinship to God and leaps up in joyous recognition. That is the heavenly birth without which we cannot see the kingdom of God. It is, however, not an end but an inception. For now begins the glorious pursuit, the heart's happy exploration of the infinite riches of the Godhead. That is where we begin, but where we stop, no man has yet discovered. For there is in the mysterious depths of the triune God neither limit nor end. How powerful and punchy is that? Did you get it? If you didn't, go to Connect Group Bible, have it all written down perfectly. She's got a great hand and she'll... Uh, I, won't even, I won't even email it to her. She'll just have to rely on her memory. She normally writes it all down, does great Connect Group things. So... On one hand, we've found God when we get saved and come to Christ. But on the other hand, we're still in search of him. And this is why the Bible talks about seeking God. You know, um, uh, happiness, as I said, it's a nice byproduct when you're pursuing God. But we've just got to be careful it's not the main goal. Because sadly, many people, Christians included, have basically made the pursuit of happiness their main objective in life. I read a great article by Joseph Matera. He's an American pastor from New York and a well-known author, and he wrote an article entitled Revisiting Happiness. I want to read a bit of this, so please, are you right? Are you awake? Just tickle the person next to you or slap them, or if you know them well enough, make sure they're awake. Come on, it's all good. It's just a little bit of, you know, concentration involved because this is very well said. Again, better than I could put it together myself. He says, it's evident that there are many in the body of Christ who attempt to integrate their Christian faith with the pursuit of happiness. Some have even gone so far as to have a theology of happiness in which they obey or disobey scripture based on what gives them the most happiness. Several years ago, a prominent pastor in New York City divorced his wife, married someone else in his church because he said, God wants me to be happy. Oh, now most people aren't that, bra- most people aren't that brazen and dumb. Uh, but there's an inkling, there's a, there's a natural, selfish, sinful desire in us that would, would like to kind of put the two together. You know, yeah, yeah, I want whatever I want, and if God can approve it, then great, we'll call that the highest will of God. He says, ultimately, if God's highest purpose for us is our personal happiness, then he wouldn't have put us on the earth, since Jesus said we would have tribulation in this world. I believe one reason believers focus so much on happiness is because of a confusion of the concepts of joy and happiness. Joy is an inward sense of peace and contentment due to our righteous standing in Christ and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. 
Joy should be present in all believers in spite of the circumstances or challenges one might be facing. On the other hand, happiness is based on what happens to us. Thus, happiness is merely an emotional good feeling when things go according to our desires. The fact that many Christians live their lives based on the pursuit of happiness instead of, instead of cultivating the joy of the Lord is an indictment of the, fallow, of the shallow theology in our midst. This shallow theology has succumbed to the worldly ideal that equates success with material prosperity, comfort and the ability to live a life of ease. That's kind of like the highest calling. If we're not careful, that'll, that'll be sort of just our life calling and think it's, it's all fine with God. He says, as a minister for over 30 years, I can't count how many so-called disciples of Christ have uprooted their families from our church and moved to another state merely for economic leverage or to escape the winter season, all without hearing from God or first researching where their families could find a good church. Obviously, they were more led by a belief system based on the pursuit of happiness rather than pursuing the mind of Christ to their God-given purpose. Sadly, many of these people either fell away or never maximised their purpose in Christ. So he says that, well, uh, Chris, the fact is, if there's many things we're called to if we're going to follow Jesus that aren't going to make us happy. I don't want to you know, rock your boat too much, but, you know, there's just the stuff of daily life. You know, you've got commitments and financial pressures and, and dealing with difficult people, yourself included, you know, probably the most difficult person. Uh, but then as Christians, we've got the challenge continually of dying to self, putting on the Lord Jesus, carrying our cross. Instead of just choosing immediate pleasure and, and taking the easy road, that is not the road for us, Jesus even said, there's a wide road, an easy road, but that leads to destruction. Uh, you remember when Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm going to have to suffer many things. And he spoke of his impending death and resurrection. What did Peter do? Peter said, no, no, that can't be right. He rebuked Jesus. You've got to love Peter, haven't you? Just, you know, I'll just take it on himself. I'm just going to rebuke the Lord Jesus. I think I know better. Because he thinks at his point of spiritual immaturity at the time, he just equated God's will with ease and happiness and pleasure and thought, well, Jesus, you're the epitome of God. You're the rabbi, the Lord. I think you're the son of God. It's coming to me slowly. And, and, uh, and therefore, God's will for you surely would not be to suffer but to, to have an easier way. Uh, and, of course, Jesus had a swift and stern response. Get behind me, Satan. There's a statement for you. <laughs> um, you know, uh, in other words, no, Peter, you don't have the right perspective on life. You are not seeing the bigger picture. And, and then Jesus went on. He used that interaction uh, to tell his disciples uh, about you know, taking, taking up their own crosses, that life is going to involve that. So, in, so following God is sometimes going to involve suffering. We've, we've got to just be aware of that. Um, but that's not to say we can't be happy or rather joyful, not reliant on the circumstances, but still, as we're pursuing God, having the joy of the Lord, as we've been singing about this morning, as our strength carrying us through that difficulty listen to what it says in hebrews chapter 12 therefore verse 1 and 2 therefore since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses now that's referring to chapter 11 all the heroes of the faith who pursued god 
Yeah? And he says, we're surrounded by all them. So therefore, let us lie aside every, lay aside every weight, put aside every sin, sin which clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then what does he say? How do we run that race? Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. So notice a couple of things. Jesus is doing what we will have to do to some extent sometimes. He saw joy before him, but he endured the cross. He was able to have a sense of composure in the most dramatic, trying, terrible circumstances that anyone could ever have. And he still could see there's joy, there's purpose, there's, there's a goal beyond just this current suffering. It's going to work out. And so we need to remember that when we're going through a tough time, we shouldn't lose our joy just because circumstances aren't working out. I'm guessing that you'll probably not have to go through as much as the Lord Jesus did. Right? Just taking a wild guess here. So you can come and tell me all your problems, but I can always pull the Jesus card and say, yeah, well, just read that again, you know, because let's just put it in perspective. And, and so we, we have him as a model. And then what does it say? Let's look to him. When we run our race, how do we run our race? Except to look to Jesus. So we're talking about pursuing. And I, look, I'm task-oriented. I like to know what I'm doing, where I'm going. And if I've got someone to follow, it makes it easier. It's not a, it doesn't have to be kind of a nebulous theoretical, airy-fairy thing. Oh, I pursue God. What does that mean? Like when I go dirt bike riding, it's a lot easier when you've got a guy that's better and faster than you to follow than having to stop and help someone ride their bike up the tricky bits and show them and wave, you know. And that's still fun if you're with, with someone who's... In fact, it's, it's fun one extreme or the other. It's fun if you've got someone who's a brand-new beginner and is crazy and brave because they'll crash and entertain you all and it's just hilarious and I've ridden with a guy in the dirt who's a very good road rider he's a race instructor a road racing instructor he's so good on the road and in the dirt he doesn't because the bikes behave totally differently he's not that good in the dirt but all he knows is he's used to going fast he does 300 kilometers an hour on a road racing bike well, you can't do that in the dirt, but he tries. But, of course, he comes off, and it's hilarious. And so um, that's entertaining. But what is fun is there's one guy that we ride with who's particularly good, and he's, I'll never be as quick as him, and, um, and it's really good to try and keep up with him. And, in fact, a few weeks ago, I went out, and I kept up with him, and I'm thinking, man, I am in the zone. I, this is awesome, and he is dunning it. You know, he's, you know, uh, really nailing the corners and the line but it's easier because you see the line you know it's all crazy rocks and stuff and if you see someone take a line that doesn't work you learn from it but if they're good and they take a good line then you follow that line and I kept up with him all day he, and he kept complaining about a sore finger and, and, he, and then the next day he uh, told me that he had had the x-ray and the finger had been totally shattered it was broken in about a million places <laughs> and it's the only time that I've been able to keep up with him so so <laughs> So I thought, oh, okay, so if you can, it's pretty tough because most people just pack it in and go home. He said, Jim, my finger's bothering you. And off he goes. And it's the only way we could keep up. But, you know, if you're pursuing an individual, like if you're, uh, you know, racing, uh, you know, running race or motorbike racing or whatever, it's easier to follow someone. 
And of course, we have Jesus. We have his word. We have his life story, the teaching in the gospels. We have him as a person that we know. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is called the Spirit of Christ, because the Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention away, but towards Jesus, then we can literally know him and pursue him and follow him in life. And so it's not just, as I said, a, a nebulous concept. Oh, yeah, I pursue God, and then what? what are you doing? You're doing your own thing. You're not really listening to God. No, you can seek God and find him, and then, of course, keep seeking him. Yeah? Now, the whole thing of happiness, I gonna, there's wrestling with, with two concepts here. One is that we pursue God, and we don't make a big fuss about pursuing happiness, because paradoxically, that's going to make you happier, right? But at the same time, there are some habits that we can develop if you do want to be a happy person because it's not just a natural. You can pursue God and still be miserable. You know? And there are some people that are doing a pretty good job of being happy and they still actually cotton on to God. It's annoying, isn't it? You sort of think, you need the Lord, but your life seems so good. What you need to know that you need the Lord. You know? uh, and that's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, or another translation, blessed are those who realise their need for him. And we need to pray that continually. Most people around us, they don't realise their need for Christ. They're like, hey, I, I got my house, my mortgage, I had a good job, live near the beach, central coast, nice family, whatever, beautiful you know, wife, husband, you know, it's all... We've ah, got to pray for a, a holy dissatisfaction with that. And no, but... If you get the priorities right and you're seeking God, then there's still uh, some habits that we can develop. And this is all based on research that behavioural scientists and psychologists have done. And they've found a number of common traits and behaviours. And I'm just going to rattle them off. Again, Barb will write them all down completely so you get them in your notes. But if you quit, you'll pick up on them. I'm going to run through 12 habits of happy people. And you can, you can develop this in your life. Um, First of all, happy people surround themselves with happy people. So they're aware that who's influencing them and who they're influencing. So you've got to choose your friends wisely. Secondly, happy people smile and laugh. And they reckon they've done research on this. They intentionalise it. They, it doesn't just happen to them. There's a, a kind of a decision in there to smile and to laugh. Ruth actually often tells me, smile. If I haven't smiled, it's probably I haven't smiled while I've been preaching. She says, she, she used to write, she can't do it on my iPad now, but she used to write smile or draw a smiley face on my notes because I get I'm task-oriented. Right, I've got a lot of good stuff. We've got 35 minutes. Concentrate. You, be quiet. Listen. Right. And now go and be happy. All right? I love you. you know. um, and God loves you. You know. That's, she's like, you've got to get it through to the people. You know. <laughs> smile. You feel love now? Smile. So, um, so some of us have to decide to smile. Uh, thirdly, they cultivate resilience. Listen to this. There's a psychologist named Peter Kramer, and he says happiness, he says resilience, not happiness, is the opposite of depression. Resilience, not happiness, is the opposite of depression. If you develop resilience, you will cope with emotionally depressing, difficult situations, and that will in turn help you to be happy. So happy people, you know this, if you see happy people and they've had some big setbacks, they know how to bounce back from, from failure and, and difficulties. Number four, happy people are thankful. Now, you know this, right? I mean, we, we need to celebrate 
accomplishments, but, but happy people actually give attention to all kinds of things. They reckon they celebrate the tiniest of things. They focus on little victories. They're mindful and, and grateful for things that others take for granted. Just, you know, they got my coffee order right. Woohoo! You know, that's like, yeah! And you know people like that and you think, oh, whatever. Oh, you know. So they should. They should get you, I mean, that's what you're paying for. You know, well, they're just focusing on every little thing that can help lift your spirits. Um, number five, happy people appreciate simple pleasures. So similar to the one before, they, they'll take time to appreciate life's little things. Number six, they're generous. And they've done a lot of research on this. They've found that giving, people who give are happier than people who are stingy. They did a long-term study in the US. They had people from all ages and they volunteer, they, who were volunteering, right? And they found the volunteers actually had better physical health, less depression, and a stronger sense of well-being and happiness because they were volunteering their time, giving of their life. Um, they reckon that there's even a drug, the helper's high, they call it. This is a euphoric state when people are involved in charitable acts. They, a researcher writes this. This is a literal high similar to a drug-induced high. See, Scott? Right? Saved a lot of money, a uh, lot, of, lot, of, lot of jail time. Right, And that's why the Bible says don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Implication being there's a buzz there. Come on, you know, you don't have to go with what is going to do your damage over the long term. Um, they said the act of making, this is a quote from this research, the act of making a financial donation triggers the reward centre in our brain that is responsible for dopamine-mediated euphoria. You know, dopamine's the happy drug that your body produces. Um, and uh, they, another study found that spending money on other people has a more direct impact on happiness than spending money on yourself. You didn't want to hear that, did you? Yeah. So there's retail therapy and then there's, you know, retail generosity. And you'll be blessed. Number seven, they're good listeners. Did you hear that? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very funny. Good listening is a skill that strengthens relationships, leads to a more satisfying life experience. So a good listener will walk away from a conversation feeling as if their presence has served a purpose. Yeah. They've encouraged someone. They've, they, they know they've engaged. And, uh, and that's obviously a, in, involved with a sense of well-being. Number eight, they hold an optimistic outlook on life. So they have less stress. They have a better tolerance for pain. Happy people are resistant to disease. And they said that this can be um, cultivated. There's a guy who wrote a book called Learned Optimism. He says, optimists face tough times, misfortune like everyone else, but they tend to believe defeat is just a temporary setback, that its causes are confined to this one case and they're unfazed by this defeat. They perceive it as a challenge and they try harder. And uh, you can read a Joel Osteen book to find out someone who's an optimist. Any, any of his books, they're all the same and they're all awesome and he's very optimistic and encouraging. Um, verse 9... Um, it's verse 9. Number 9. Uh, this is the Bible of happiness. Right? Happy people. Right? This is the ninth thing. Happy people, habits of happy people. They exercise. Exercise is shown to, induce, to release endorphins. And, um, and you should know this feeling. If you exercise, you will know it. You can feel down. And there are literal brain chemicals that release into your system when you exercise. And uh, you get... Uh, you know, it helps you live longer, you've got more energy, 
you don't suffer from illness along the way, which is going to make you unhappy. Um, and they say, even just walking, you don't have to go and be a gym junkie and run a marathon or whatever. They say just walking energetically makes a difference. Get this, they did an experiment. They got participants to take a three-minute walk and half of the walkers were told to take long strides and swing their arms and hold their heads high, right? And the others were told to walk with small steps and look down. And they shuffled along and sure enough, the people who were bounding were happier. They were exercising and there was something in the get out, you know, remember Norm, life, am I, everyone old enough to remember that? Get into it, remember he's lying on the couch. And okay, number 10, happy people sleep well. If you don't sleep well, drink less coffee, exercise more. That'll exhaust you and literally you will sleep really well. So you've got to figure out how to get a good night's sleep. Number 11, they try to be happy. There's a decision. They determine, I'm going to enjoy life, I'm going to be happy. And you can actually do that. You can just, Abraham Lincoln famously said, people are about as happy as they decide they're going to be. And then finally, number 12, uh, happy people are spiritual people. And there's many studies that put the link between spiritual pursuits and practice with happiness, which brings us back full circle to the pursuit of God. Again, not pursuing happiness, but if we pursue God, he is going to make all things work out for good. And as Jesus said, all these things will be added to you, including happiness. So we can develop these habits, but the number one habit is paradoxically not aimed at making us happy. And I've found that when I stop seeking my own happiness and start seeking God, happiness has a way of finding me along the way. And so that's why I said I kind of got two messages in one. How to be happy, but forget about that for a moment. Pursue God. Oh, gee, that answers the first one. You know, it's kind of combining the two. So you've got to ask yourself, what is my or who is my number one pursuit? Let's seek first the kingdom of God, yeah? And his righteousness, all this stuff, including happiness, is going to be added to us. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about our podcast so they too can learn, live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at c3cc.org.au. See you next time. God bless.